Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 4, In It 1, is over. But we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps with our coverage of Mr. Robot. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. Here is the man who is joining me to carefully massacre everything about this episode, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, what's going on? Very carefully. Very carefully, Very Josh. careful. Don't forget to wear your blue murder gloves. Don't forget to bring your bourgeois mask. I've got my boombox here. Yeah, I think that that is going to be a great thing that we are going to do. I don't think that's a real movie, by the way. No, it's too bad, too, because I would watch it immediately. Yes. It's like a classic 80s horror movie that I would really be interested in watching right about Meow. Meow, yes. Uh, Did you say Meow? No, I said no. We'll get into this. I think there's some connections to an actual classic Academy Award winning film that we'll definitely talk about. Okay, we'll talk about it. This one, the 80s horror version, blood splattering everywhere. Yeah, I don't think it exists. Don't think that exists at all, but plenty of other things exist, and probably plenty of other things don't exist as well on Mr. Robot. Plenty of illusory stuff to talk through this week with another super long episode of Mr. Robot. I know some people are not wild about the continuing length, uh, the long length of Mr. Robot. Uh, It has been like an hour and a half every single week since it's come back. What are your thoughts on this? Alan Sepinwall famously wrote an article this week basically being like, Mr. Robot, can you cut it down a little bit? We're getting a little bit bloated here as we go along in season two. Sam Sepial wrote that article? Sam Sepial, that's right. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't mind the longer episodes. There are a lot to take in. I do think it gives us kind of these extended sequences in each episode, the dream sequences, whatever. We're fitting a lot in. And I think at the beginning of the season, we're building a lot of story. We're building a lot of different things that will ultimately connect together. I don't know that we could sustain and a season which is adding two episodes from its original episode order, and each one of them is 10 to 15 minutes longer than the original run would be. I'm not sure we could sustain that, but at the beginning, I, I like the longer episodes. We don't need to go full Sons of Anarchy here, Josh. I know. I was going to say, and that's really, I feel like the, the modern model to point to is that like every Sons of Anarchy episode in the last season and a half to two seasons was at least 90 minutes, it felt like. It was just too much. It was too much. I think right now i'm really enjoying mr robot season two spoiler alert for my hot takes and uh that are coming up here on this podcast red hot uh red hot takes i'm still really really digging it i think that there's a lot to chew on i think you're right i think that the extra time allowed for some really great sequences like the basket case sequence in the middle of the episode oh my gosh. uh but i think that if you're just like watching mr robot because it's a cool thing to watch during the summer and you're not necessarily really into drilling down into a lot of the stuff that's going on in the show i could certainly understand Understand it feeling a little long right now, and I would agree that it's a little long if this is going to be the way it is all season long. If every episode is ninety minutes, yeah. It, there's one thing about certain episodes or certain sequences being cinematic. The example of the five point nine million dollars burning the build in that scene right. how long that scene takes the ability to show the different faces the freedom tower all of it playing out that's something where if they're cutting time in episodes you have to make tough decisions about even three or four seconds from each scene like that and i don't like having to lose that but at the same time i do want a tight fast-paced exciting edge of my seat episode i think those are coming i'm not i'm not thinking that those aren't coming those are definitely coming but but without that without that kind of pace in an episode i do think you get into these longer episodes which as i'm saying i really think they really take the time to build stuff out and we're going to get there we had several joanna wellick scenes in this episode for example that were two or three minute scenes that do extend the length of the episode 
episode that just built her character up, and those are going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, I think so as well. And I think also, to your point, that things are going to start speeding up. I think that we're going to get into faster-paced episodes. I mean, the way this episode ends, the way that In It One ends promises that we are heading into some very intense stuff. We've been, you know, Elliot has been unplugged all season long. I think that that has been a criticism of the show so far. Elliot is back in front of a computer by the end of this episode, and he's going to hack the FBI. <laughs> like, that's a pretty big leap from no computer action to lots of computer action. I think that through that, you know, this is around the time in season one that the Steel Mountain stuff started happening. I feel like we are in for some really intense episodes in that regard. It's been a very cerebral, cerebral season so far. I think it's a very cerebral show, so it's going to continue to be that way. But I think that we're going to start marrying that with some faster-paced story, uh, story mode. Yeah, but it's interesting. First of all, I think it's it's sort of a silly thing to complain about because HBO dramas don't have commercials. Those HBO dramas are often 50, 55, 60 minutes with commercials. And Mr. Robot hour and a half show is probably running just around that length, maybe a little more with actual screen time. So that's the first thing is I think that it's it's a really it's a really uh, it's an arbitrary line to draw in some respects. The other thing is you're talking about how the episode ends. Think about how this episode begins. One of the most harrowing, chilling, awesome sequences we've seen in Mr. Robot. And it is in part that way because of how slow-paced it is. Because the scene takes time to develop. Because of the things that emerge very slowly in the scene. And I think if you speed that scene up or you cut some of that scene out to shrink the episode down for length, it doesn't play the same way. And I can't imagine that scene playing less. That is a great, great scene. Yeah, I think so. Let Sam Asmail do what Sam Asmail wants to do. Yeah, and, and I, I think until proven otherwise. I don't think that – I do understand people saying that this, there hasn't been as much plot in these first few episodes, that they want the plot to be sh- shuttling or, or speeding forward. But a we huge st- part of the plot is Elliot's battle with Mr. Robot. Like, that's Absolutely. the show that we're signed on for. Yes. Uh, and maybe that's just not super interesting for some people, and I don't know what to say about that. Uh, that's, of course, you know, it's a matter of personal taste, but that's a huge part of the story, and that story has been really interesting to me. But I think, you know, external forces are now starting to really, really build to a point where that stuff is just going to pop as soon as next week. Well, right. And I, I, I'm, I'm thinking after I watch this episode, my thought ultimately is when season two really comes together, when all of these different threads that are out there dangling are tied together, when Joanna Wellick comes back together with Elliot, when what's happening with Angela is tied into what's happening with the overall conspiracy or the fall of Evil Corp, when what's happening with Angela is tied into Elliot, when the FBI plays a role in all of that, when what's happening with Ray has an impact on the story, season two is going to be massive. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to be that way because we did take the time to set up all the different things in play on this wheel at the beginning of the season. So I'm, I'm, I, my, my, Agreed. Planted, yeah, my planted flag is that we're going to go to really great places in season, season two. I will, we'll discuss this here in this podcast, but some awesome things are being set up that I can't wait to see play out. All right. Well, we will revisit that comment when a flying saucer drops in the middle of New York city, uh, <sighs> later in Mr. Robot season two. Gosh, douche chill. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the episode itself. You're right. You mentioned this earlier. It starts with this very chilling opening sequence. 
sequence. Another flashback, Antonio. That's three flashbacks in a row to kick off each episode of Mr. Robot this season. Three's a trend. Are we doing flashback scenes for every opening this season? I would not be shocked if we saw a flashback at the beginning of next episode, Josh. Yeah, I feel like that might be a thing that we are doing this year. I think it's fun, especially when you get a moment where Elliot literally transforms into Mr. Robot. Yes, when he puts the mask on and Darlene forces him to put the coat on, then the plan emerges, and it's kind of terrifying. It's kind of terrifying. So it opens this episode with Elliot sitting in front of his computer in his apartment. We are in it for the first time since and season one. In it one for the first time since season one. Uh, there is a knock on the door. I think, you know, certainly I was expecting this is the moment where we are going to find out about who was knocking at the door at the end of season one. Elliot goes to answer it. It's Darlene. You're like, oh, so it was Darlene the whole time. What did she want? And then the scene unfolds. And clearly this is set well before season one. Uh, this is a Darlene returning to town after however long away. Yeah, this is the Halloween before the hack. We already know what happened at the Christmas time before the hack. We saw that last flashback. That was Mobley and Romero setting up the arcade for F Society. R.I.P. Romero. And now we're seeing what happened at Halloween. So, But the, the funny thing about this is, there's a, there's a few funny things about this. One... Once you realize it's a flashback and you look at what Elliot is doing before Darlene, before he answers the door, did you see what he's doing? What's he doing? He's closing a book of CDs. Yes. So he's already been hacking, as we know, and he already has been thinking about these sorts of ideas. Angela put Elliot's weird behavior at the feet of Darlene in season one and said, this all started when you came back to town. We are seeing the scene where Darlene comes back to town and we find out in the scene that things with Elliot were already amiss. He's already been fired from his previous job. He destroyed we, like all of the servers at the job. Who knows how? Yes, he lost track of time. He already has gone into a point where he's disappearing and losing time, which Mr. Robot later in this episode describes as what happens when Mr. Robot fully takes over, when Elliot is gone. That is what happens. Elliot has no memory of what goes on. We know that that's already happened. We know he's already in court-ordered anger management therapy with Krista for that incident. We know he's already hacking people. He hasn't started to work at all safe, but we know he's already germinating the plan. So I don't think it's fair to put this all at Darlene's feet. She is the one who sort of ceremonially makes him put on the Mr. Robot jacket, and she's the one who hands him the Monopoly mask. From but she seems freaked out yeah. when he starts talking. Yes about his plan like Darlene's like uh are you serious is this real yeah and this but this is something that Elliot has already thought about and already talked about so this didn't come from out of nowhere it isn't something that Darlene directly put in his head that when they're sitting there watching the film that she makes him watch the careful massacre of the bourgeoisie She's ranting a little bit. She says, this is the root of all of our psychological dysfunction, having watched that movie as kids. And Elliot talks to her about, are you still having your panic attacks? And Darlene is, is, is watching the movie, and the, the scene really unfolds in a terrifying way. I love the music that comes up. It's Neptune, I think, 
from Holst the Planets. Uh, it, it is really, it, it's perfect use of this music. It's horror, It's a horror film. Yeah, it's very ominous, and I mean, it really is. In a lot of ways, this has been a Jekyll and Hyde thing, you know, yes. where Elliot has this other side of him that's monstrous and capable of doing really remarkable things that baseline Elliot, as I've called him a lot, does not really want to do. Uh, and this is the moment where we are seeing, you know, the monster transform. We often see, we really only see Elliot engaging Christian Slater as Mr. Robot. That is the, you know, visual representation of this internal struggle. But now through this flashback, we are seeing Elliot transform into this militant side of himself. And even though we're not looking dead on at Rami Malek's face, you kind of feel like he is, you know, that could be Christian Slater under there with the mask on and the way that his body is, you know, posed and he has the Mr. Robot jacket on. You are seeing the creation of the monster as other people see the monster, which is a line that Mr. Robot himself had said earlier this season where he says, I'm going to show you that when people look at you, they see me. This is us looking at you, Elliot, as Mr. Robot. And it's a really cool idea and very, very chilling indeed. Very, very chilling. And some very interesting stuff that's playing out in the sort of background of this scene. For example, Darlene is talking about how the movie is really obscure. And she says, I think we're some of the only people to have ever watched this movie. So then she takes an Instagram picture and posts it of the movie. Puts that in public on Instagram, where the masks are linked where that exists. Later in the episode, we'll talk about this when the FBI is talking about how they're going to investigate F society. They're going to cross-reference social media from the end of the world party. Are they going to turn this up, Josh? Are they going to link this F society, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, obscure film with this mask in it post to Darlene's Instagram? I think that they have to start figuring out that Darlene is a person that exists, which maybe they know. Uh, it's possible that they know based on, you know, the Berenstein thing that is going on that oh we'll talk gosh. about at a later point. It's possible that many of these people are already on the FBI's watch list or Philip Price may know about these people as well. Yes, um, but this is something very public that ties her to yes. an obscure film that uses this mask that is on her social media, which if we know. people know to look for Darlene, this looks very suspicious once you start Digging into her online presence. Right, and it's only a matter of did Darlene turn up in any of the pictures that were in the F Society End of the World Party? And if so, will they link that back to her and her Instagram? That is an open question, and I think this beginning scene, even though it's not the thrust of the, the scene, the thrust of the scene is Elliot is Mr. Robot and seeing that origin story, but it's just a it's kind of a passing detail that's mentioned there that I think could prove to be Chekhov's Instagram. All right, well, we will keep an eye out for Chekhov's Instagram, I think that there's something interesting to the idea that Darlene might be in for a world of hurt this season, um, that things could come back to haunt her. I think, you know, the first time we see her, or one of the first times we see her this season, she is crying alone, freaking out in the bathroom. Then in public, she is acting very strong and empowered and trying to motivate the troops and get them back to war. Then we see her in this episode later with Turtle from Entourage uh, when she is having her uh, rendezvous, shall we say? Assignation. Yeah. 
yes, indeed. Uh, once that is happening, we see her really, really freaked out once he has the news about uh, you guys are you know close to being linked to the FBI. That's not going to go well with the Dark Army. You have to let me protect you. And once again, we see a vulnerable Darlene. I'm worried for Darlene this year. I don't know where that is going, but I think it's something we have to track that Darlene, this being a darker season of Mr. Robot, as the people involved with the show have said, that Darlene could be headed for some trouble pretty soon. I am too. And I really do think that the Instagram post is something that really could come back. Totally. We know We know Elliot didn't have an online presence. He hacked himself and found nothing. In part, I think, because of his paranoia and because he was willing to delete all that stuff. He also just didn't have it, didn't like it, whatever. The fact that Darlene's using it and that later in the episode the FBI talks about how they're going to use social media to track some of this stuff down, I feel like that's a very bad portent for Darlene. And along with everything you're saying in this episode, just the stuff that ties back to her, I do think it's very fascinating that she says the film – is something that created their psychological issues. When you hear about what caused Elliot to destroy the servers, Josh, it's that he was working as a white hat hacker. He was helping people find vulnerabilities in programs, right. and he was identifying them. They were upset because it was Memorial Day weekend. He was still finding holes in their programs, and they were having to stay at work to correct them. They just wanted to go barbecue, man. They just wanted to go barbecue, so they threw Elliot and locked him in the server room by himself. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good thing to do to someone like Elliot Alderson. Right. And he doesn't like being alone. The fact that he is alone is the source of a lot of his pain and a lot of his frustration. They put him alone. They lock him in the server room. and They, they bullied out. him. They bullied him. And he destroyed the servers. So you can't put somebody in a box. I think part you of... You don't put a baby in a corner and you don't put Elliot Alderson in a closet. Right. That's exactly right. You don't. That's just dirty dancing. And what I would say is that Elliot, when he gives his Mr. Robot speech with the mask on, he he retcons a little bit and he says, well, the hardest part would be after the hack. We really have to take it to him after the hack and that would be the really, really hard part. And so in some respects, what has happened is this hack has sort of put Darlene in a box. She is the one who is out there having to deal with all this while Elliot is wherever the hell Elliot is, no matter how you take that in, if Elliot has just chosen to live with his mother, or I think as we'll talk about in that scene when Darlene visits Elliot, if there's something else really in play here with where Elliot is... Either way, he's removed from F Society. Yes, and Darlene's sort of in a box that Elliot and F Society's actions have created. And as a result, has to deal with all these things. She's a little bit caged, and she wants to escape from the box. And Cisco's telling her, don't do that. That's when the Dark Army will kill you. So I do think it's interesting that there's a little bit of a parallel there between the two of them. Anything else with the movie, um, with the careful massacre of the bourgeoisie? Is there anything to really chew on there? We don't think it is a real movie. Nothing is really turned up when you look for it online. No, and it is there's a there's a film discrete charm of the bourgeoisie, which is a Academy Award winning film from the seventies, very surreal film. Uh, that it really just is about exposing the upper class or the bourgeoisie's hypocrisy and the things that they get into. There's a lot of going to dinner parties that don't exist. I have seen this film once. It is in French. It did win the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. I don't know. I'm sure there are very loose distinctions to draw. I'm not sure there's anything in the plot of that film that directs where the story of Mr. Robot is going. But thematically, there's a lot of connection 
between people raging or uh, loosely or directly against the, the the aspects of society that we build up that create and generate hypocrisy. Uh, there's a scene in that film, for example, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, where people in, people encounter this person who's asking them for help, and he's dressed like a gardener, and they're like, get out of here. I don't want to help you. The, the guy comes back dressed like a priest, and they're like, oh, Father, how can we help you? And it's very much sort of a classist expose about the way that the people's expectations, based on where they are in the class and society, play out when they're challenged or when the, the director puts them in these situations. And so there's a lot of subtle kind of ranting against society that is obviously a lot more direct in Mr. Robot in terms of how we're criticizing the, the walls people build, the illusions people create, the, the perfect mazes people create, and the bubbles they live in. There's a lot of that connection. None of it, if I recall, is so bloody as what happens With in... With just, like, heads getting, like, smushed yes, open. The Patrick Bateman again. version, yes. Uh, it was so cheesy but so gross at the same time. Yeah, so I don't know if there's anything more with that film. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. I do think, as I said, that the very key element of that is Darlene mentions that it's very obscure. The mask comes from that film. Darlene Instagrams a picture of the film. I hope that it's a bonus feature, like on the Blu-ray. Like I, I hope that some version of this movie in a fuller form exists as an extra at some point down the line. Because yeah. I feel like I would really enjoy watching it. That would be fantastic. I would definitely watch that. That'd be good. But otherwise, I mean, I don't think too much more to unpack with that stuff. So we start we start moving into some present-day action. Darlene is going to go to visit Elliot. She is on the subway to visit Elliot. We see that a lot of people in this particular subway car, they're, like, wearing surgical masks. One person has, like, an Oculus Rift on. Uh, somebody, uh, a couple of people, I think, are wearing gas masks. I assume it's because, like... The world has fallen apart to such a degree that who knows what's next? Are we going to get bombed? Is it wise to have a gas mask on in case something terrible happens here? I think it's just a little more color to a post-5-9 hack world. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think it also, if you if you look at the general theme of everyone wearing a mask and masking and the discussions we've had about masks in this season of Mr. Robot, everyone has some form of masking going on, whether they're masking their reality with a virtual reality device, whether it's literally a gas mask or a surgical mask. Someone's wearing some sound masking headphones, I think, in the scene. So everybody in that in that train has some form of mask going on, except Darlene, but she is wearing her sunglasses. That's well, that is her mask. Yes, exactly. No so one there can is that connection with the giant well. sunglasses on. Yes, yes, yes. So she's wearing her sunglasses mask as well. This is very noteworthy to me that Darlene shows up to quote unquote their mother's house, uh, to Elliot's mother's house where Elliot has been living for the past month or so. Darlene shows up to have a conversation with Elliot. Their mother is, as she has been for much of this season so far, sitting in front of a television, just in the background, not interacting with them at all. Darlene barely acknowledges their mom. Uh, there is no scene with Darlene and the mother interacting. I think that that is a point in the column that not all is as it seems in Elliot's little world. I think that his perfect little maze is certainly a maze that we are being meant to question right now. And the fact that Darlene is not talking to her own mom... That is a conspicuous absence for me of a scene, that there's just no interaction between those two characters at all. I agree completely. I agree completely. I couldn't agree more.
or there's definitely something going on here. It's not as it seems. You could debate endlessly whether the fact that somebody in the background is eating off a tray in the diner or the fact that somebody has this or has that doesn't mean it's a prison. Is it psychiatric care? There's been a lot of discussion after our podcast last week. We had Debbie Sapp, great friend of Post Show Recaps, Debbie Sapp, who was a nurse and talked about how in psych wards especially, when people overdose on Adderall, one of the things they do is they literally pour charcoal down their throats. And so when she saw the cement scene, that was her interpretation, is that he had OD'd on Adderall and those people were actually orderlies and were helping protect him. So there's some element of that that when we go back and look at this, there, there may be some connections there. You can go through the roof on these things if you want. Point being, I think, as you're saying, we're meant to question it. And I think that the fact that Darlene and her mother don't exchange any pleasantry and that there's nothing in, in the scene with that at all. Not even like a look between them. Nope. I think that that's a key element. And Darlene says to Elliot, what are, what are her exact words? Do you know she said something to the effect of, I can't believe you did this. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're doing this. That's well, ambiguous. You yes. know, it can't be, you know, it's more than just like, I can't believe you went back to mom's house. You yeah. know, it's nothing like that. There's nothing explicit like that. It is open to interpretation. Well, and we also talked about there. We have also had feedback where people are wondering, and I apologize. I don't have the listener's name because multiple people have contacted us about this. Is it possible, Josh, that Mr. That Elliot as Mr. Robot, we had the fight club connection in season one. Is it possible that Elliot at some point actually, shot himself in the head and this is he's in some sort of psychiatric care as a result of that oh my god that feels intense uh (laughs) i don't know mr robot repeatedly doing it in in the first episode we talked about how unfortunately when people commit suicide via gun most of the time they're shooting they're not shooting themselves in the femoral artery they're shooting themselves right in the head killing that master and the end of fight club involves the character shooting themselves in the head that's such an extreme measure though and i feel like mr robot about the way that he has been railing against Elliot and being frustrated with Elliot. It's a level of frustration where, um, you know, he, he ha- I don't think that he has been directly targeted in such a explicit way, in such a let's end everything type of way. Otherwise, the Mr. Robot that we are seeing wouldn't be so much annoyed and frustrated as he would be really, really, really out to get Elliot. I don't think that a surviving Mr. Robot of a self-inflicted gunshot wound would be as patient as this Mr. Robot has been. Yeah, I think that's true. I I do think we, we probably read multiple suicide attempts into season one, whether it's the jump off the rail or the, the slash push, whether it's the jump out the window at his family's house, wh- however you want to read those incidents. Those are those are probably suicide attempts. What was Mr. Robot's motivation in quote unquote pushing Elliot off that rail? I'm not 100% sure, but I think you're right. Had Elliot taken that direct an action against Mr. Robot, I do think we'd see a more hostile Mr. Robot. And yet, what could be more hostile than the fact that Mr. Robot is repeatedly shooting Elliot in the head in this Sure, season? that is very, very hostile. Yes. It, is, it is very hostile. Uh, this episode, he's a lot more patient. I don't know. It's interesting. Definitely something to chew on. I think that regardless of what has happened, I'm, I'm less interested in that right now. I'm hoping that it's going to be a fun reveal, whatever the reveal is. I just think that Dark 
Darlene not talking to her mother at all, not looking at her mother. No emphasis from the camera on those two characters really having a moment. I think that's very, very telling that something is not as it seems here. I think it is, too. And the two things I will say in response to that are, one, the number one most telling thing for me other than that, that something is not as, as it seems, and I don't know where to track this, is if Elliot were in some kind of facility why isn't he being medicated? Why aren't there drugs as part of that regimen? Is it something where he is taking them and throwing them away or the drugs aren't working? I'm very skeptical that he would be in some form of psych ward or psychiatric care and not be being medicated on a regular basis. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Elliot's voiceover in this scene when Darlene and Elliot are talking. Elliot says, the only way to patch, I'm summing this up, the only way to patch a vulnerability is exposing it first, but the flip side is it leaves you open to an exploit. And I think we're starting to introduce the idea that maybe Elliot at some point or even now is being exploited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would not be surprised if Elliot is being exploited. Yes. And then that brings in Berenstain. It brings in the FBI. It's not just Mr. Robot that might be exploiting Elliot. Did someone else exploit Elliot in season one? Was Elliot the one that was being exploited? We thought maybe throughout that Elliot was good, that Elliot was the one who was above all as Mr. Robot and was actually exploiting Tyrell Wellick's power, desires, and hunger, and all of that. But it seems possible that Elliot was actually a puppet of a bigger scheme. And when we get into the white rose of it all in this episode, Josh, we definitely need to revisit that. All right. We will chew on that when we get there. So Darlene is here basically to ask for Elliot's help, saying things like, I can't believe you did this. Uh, Clearly wants to tell him about Romero being assassinated. Yeah, something very metal. You know, something something very metal has happened here in the world of F Society. And basically what she is getting back from Elliot makes her very reluctant to go into further detail. To the point that she says, maybe I need to talk to him right now. Yeah. You know, the big bad him. The other guy. Uh, that is who she wants to talk this through with. And Elliot is a little offended by this. Uh, you know, quietly. Doesn't really come out with anything. But he is telling us that Darlene is not telling me something. She's not being honest this is her default this is the way that she is so he knows that there is something extra that is being withheld from him in this moment but i think that because elliot is very reluctant to get back into the game give mr robot more power possibly hurt more people because he can't trust himself in his own actions really is is reluctant to fully hear darlene out here i think that there's just too much at stake for him right now yeah and she very correctly points out as you're saying that this is this is what you originally said would be the biggest problem. You you knew what we were going to get you into. You said the follow-through, yeah. Yeah, you knew what we were getting into when you did this, and now you're trying to back out. That's why Darlene wants to talk to him. And it, it is fascinating because Darlene mentions that they have something big planned for the bailout vote, and Elliot wants no part of it. And we see kind of right away what the real consequences of what's going on are, where the problem in the fallout is, because we cut right to the arcade. Yeah, we cut right to the arcade. Uh, thankfully, DJ Mobley, it looks like he's off the hook. Our son, Josh. Oh, my, oh my God, gosh, our son so is okay. And, of course, he's off the hook. He's the best. Yeah, well, he's literally off the hook. Yeah, no, he is really, really great. But uh, we see Dom DiPiero. We see that she, uh, you know, has DDP. bought it. 
DDP. She has brought in a lot more people here to this situation. Uh, she mentions that DJ Mobley basically has an alibi. I don't know how that worked out, but that's great news for us. Yeah, different DJ Mobley, I think. A different DJ Mobley. So there are multiple DJ Mobleys. Is that you? Are you going under DJ Mobley as an alias and you are actually a secret DJ in Las Vegas? I don't know what you're talking about. Ah, it's the new upstate New York. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think a different DJ Mobley. Yeah. Uh, they haven't found too, too much, I feel like, here at F Society, at F Society headquarters, other than a bullet casing. Yeah, uh, behind the Mallard murder, behind the behind, duck hunt. Behind Mallard murder. Is it possible that this is the bullet that Elliot used to Mallard murder Tyrell Wellick? Sure it is. There's no blood there, though. So I, I think it might be a little bit of a red herring in that regard. But who knows what it could actually lead to. It's, uh, it's definitely up in the air. It is a piece of physical evidence that was located. As I said, I think the other bit of evidence that they found is that the party was all over social media, and DDP says that they're going to cross-check everybody that's in those pictures. They're going to bring everyone in that they can identify in those pictures and cross-check other social media. That's where I'm starting to wonder, is that this where Darlene... Darlene yep. Yeah, yeah, is this where Darlene gets in trouble and DDP is doing the deep dive into Darlene's social media presence and sees that Instagram. She's like, oh my god, I know that movie. Oh my god, of course. Yes, oh my uh, god, I know that mask. Oh my god, right. I know that movie. Right. So this is, uh, DDP is not going to rest until she figures this out. This is a little bit scary, I think, for everybody at F Society. Even though there's not a lot of great physical evidence there because the party did erase it, there's still evidence of the party and that could still link back to them. I think trouble, Josh. Trouble. Yeah, especially Especially like if there's a picture of Darlene hovering near Romero, you know, right. uh, and that is what we saw in season one when we saw the F Society party, that it was really the core F Society members, Mobley, Trenton, Romero and Darlene were hanging out together in the back for yep. what looked to be an extended period of time. Maybe it was just a brief stopover, but even if it was three minutes of the, of the four of them being together, very easy to see how somebody would have taken a photo of them. Yeah, major loose end, and I think the show is is really leading us, giving, giving us some breadcrumbs as to how that loose end will get tied up. Speaking of loose ends, Josh, what about Kareem? What about Kareem? Kareem, the parking lot attendant from the parking lot where Tyrell Wellick's car was parked when Elliot woke up three days after the hack. Um, this guy is getting paid off by Joanna Wellick. What does Joanna Wellick have to do with any of this? This is very strange. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. I really don't know. Now it seems clear that Joanna Wellick was loosely tied in to whatever Elliot and Tyrell were up to, such that she knows the guy needs to be paid off. I don't think she's paying a guy off just because Tyrell's car was found there. She's paying him off to make something quiet about the story. We know Kareem told Elliot, you only paid me for three days. Your time is up. That was the only scene with Kareem from season one. When Elliot wakes up in the SUV, he interacts with Kareem, and Kareem says, you only paid for a few days in advance. Your, your money's up. I'm going to tow your car. She's not paying Kareem to say, oh, yeah, we found the car there, and to cover that part of it up. She's paying him to cover something else up. And, Josh, is it too late to take Kareem in the death draft? Uh, I think it's a little late to take Kareem in the death draft. Well, that's too uh, bad because he's going like, to die. Oh, yeah. feels like an easy shot to call. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got Sutherland, who's Joanna's bodyguard. Uh, he's the guy who's saying, hey, Joanna Wellick, listen, our funds dwindling, <laughs> getting very, very thin. Your Sutherland we, is great. We cannot afford to keep paying this guy to be quiet. 
I should probably just kill him. Yeah. Why don't you, what do you say? You want to let me do that? And Joanna's like, this conversation is over. Yeah, uh, but you you talked to you talked to Stephanie Cornelison this week, right? And I did. I, yes. Her interpretation of this conversation is over. It was a little open ended. Well, I had asked her about this. Yeah, I interviewed her for THR this week, my weekly post mortem uh, for Mr. Robot. They post on Wednesday nights, and she was the person that I talked to this week. The actress who plays Joanna Welk, very very pleasant on the phone. Um, she, I, I asked her about that point blank. Like, you know, the Joanna Wellick we knew from season one is pretty cold and calculated and is somebody who was willing to make these really big swings, these yeah. big sacrifice plays, uh, you know, inducing labor. Yeah, when there's very... a fork in the road, she takes it. <laughs> yes, literally. Uh, you know, we've seen her do incredibly powerful things in the service of her quest, whatever it may be that she and Tyrell Wellick are ultimately after. But it's surprising that killing a guy seems to be a line that she does not want to cross. And I said, I think that a lot of people would be surprised by that. And she basically answered by saying, that depends on how you read that line. Uh, it depends on how you read the line of Joanna saying, this topic is over. Is the topic actually over? Is the topic over for now? Has Joanna already made up her mind and doesn't need to bounce this, uh, bounce this back with Sutherland any further? Does she not want to talk about it and create any kind of trail? Is she willing to kill Kareem? Um, she basically said, Stephanie Corneliuson basically said, based on what we have seen Joanna do in the past, I don't think it's a question of would Joanna be willing to kill somebody. It's just a matter of does she have better plans that she can follow through first before she has to pull that final ultimate lever. Um, so I would assume that Kareem is somebody that we could absolutely lose, this parking lot attendant. There are plenty of reasons to bump this guy off if Joanna is not able to get, let's say, Tyrell's severance package, as she is very much after in that great scene with Scott Knowles later in the episode. Will it make sense at some point down the line to kill Kareem? If it does, I think she'll do it. Um, so yeah, I would, I would be more surprised if Kareem su- survives this season. Certainly not going to be the last time we see this guy. This feels like a very big loose end in the Wellick storyline. The next time we see him, it might just be his corpse. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. It's possible. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is you're right. How is Joanna tied in to Elliot? Is this through Tyrell? Does Ty- Tyrell reach out to Joanna and say, Hey, I'm going away somewhere for a while. You're not going to see me. Things are going to be really bad. Lie low by by the way, pay this guy to keep my car in place uh, until I can come back and get it. Is it Elliot who says something? You know, after Elliot, you said three days. I mean, at the end of that third day, that is when Elliot has come back from Times Square at Mr. Robot's urging, go back home, go look at what we've done, go study things. We don't know how Elliot got from the knock on the door to where he starts in season two. Is it possible that Elliot's one of his first moves that he doesn't remember or that we haven't been... um, um, clued into yet does he go to joanna Welk and say hey this is what's going on this is everything that's happening please pay this money keep tyrell's car all of this stuff all we know is that joanna is locked into this thing in some mysterious way and that makes her character very very fascinating in this mystery of what happened to tyrell Welk. i agree i agree and i'm done with this topic otherwise <laughs> no i agree completely i think that she's Awesome. And they yeah. they really know what they found, I think, when we saw how Joanna Wellick developed as a character in season one and that great final scene with Elliot where the hack had already occurred. And she seemed to know a lot more than Elliot did, keeping in mind, of course, that Elliot had forgotten three days worth of stuff. 
and she spoke to him in Danish, and so she even knew that maybe there was a chance he would understand that. There is a lot of theorizing on the internet, Josh, about how there is time travel involved. We're not going to get into that. that. We're not going to get into that. But the Strigoi, Strigoi, yes, we're not going to get into that. But there is a there is a lot of theory about what the connection between Elliot and Joanna and Tyrell is. I loved their appearance in this episode in Elliot's dream sequence. It was very funny. So even if it's just this kind of connection where they're loosely connected, uh, we don't know. We know there. We have always theorized there was some deeper connection between Elliot and Wellick. There is the older son theory that's out there. I don't know how all that develops, but clearly there's more to the story. And this scene really does go to establish that some more. All right. More Joanna to come later in this episode. Uh, Let's go to Angela, who is watching. You know, she's doing her self-affirmations, and she is watching as Macbeth's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are being arrested. Yes, Scottish play, Macbeth. Yeah, we're back to that again, right? Yes, yes, we are back to that. Yeah, Mia Maxima Culpa, right? (laughs) Apparently, we messed that up. I really thought that you had said Hamlet last weekend. Oh, I'm sure I did. Look, no no need to go back and review the tape. That's absolutely what was said. No, uh, we talked about Scottish. Scottish play. We talked about Macbeth because we're so desirous of making Joanna Wellick a lady Macbeth. But Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, the Saul and Jim characters here that Price mentions are from Hamlet, not from Macbeth. Apologies. And we had some great emails about that, Josh. We had some great emails about that from uh, Jill Swanson as as one example, a Shakespearean actor, director, and dramaturge who wanted to talk to us about the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of it all uh, and thinking that the idea may be, you know, the great play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, could that mean that these characters were already going to be taken out by Philip Price when he gave Angela the evidence? Is it possible that these guys were just dead men walking anyway? Yeah, and there is a great play. This is this is my real experience to them. My exposure to them most is the play in the film of the play Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. That's that's really the Tom Stoppard play that that Jill was mentioning, and that they were already dead. We find out in this very first scene with Angela that at least they're being dragged out in the daylight in handcuffs. So even if Angela did it or didn't do it, which I, th- I think is clear from this episode, she did do it. Uh, but even if she didn't, Price would have taken them out anyway. I think Jill's on to something. I think Price's plan is much bigger than just manipulating Angela moment to moment. We had speculated last week that maybe Price was grooming Angela to just use her to do his dirty work, to use her as his hitman, and to really build her up and say, get rid of your emotion, and then I can use you as this weapon. But there is something more in play. Angela is starting to sniff around the edges of that in this episode, which we'll expand on more later. But I do think Jill is on to something that they were already dead. These guys were going to get burned no matter what, and I think a big part of that is something bigger is in play here something bigger is in play here angela's gonna think that she knows what's up but phil price is gonna say wrong you know do the kevin spacey lex luther to her uh we'll we'll find that we'll find out how that's going you know we'll we'll get there later on in the episode before we get to that stuff how about a game of chess antonio oh would you like to play chess josh i'd like to play chess i've been looking for a good adversary uh we see elliot and ray playing chess of course in the most recent episode ray proposing let's play some chess elliot is losing badly ray says you could use some practice elliot wants to replay ray ray says you know something to the to the effect of do you know the definition of insanity what is the definition of insanity antonio well it depends on who you ask i 
suppose, but one of the definitions of insanity that I believe comes from support groups is that doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. Right. So repeating a pattern of behavior and expecting that the result is going to change is true insanity. I know that that definition does come from 12-step groups. So Ray is suggesting that to Elliot. You can't Basically do the same like, thing. Don't play me right now again. You're going to lose. Yes. You will keep losing. I'm real good at chess. Yeah, but and you could use some practice. Yeah. Uh, how about you play yourself? You know, that would be helpful. That's a good way to learn. Start practicing against your Yourself, especially considering you have an alternate personality who might be a really good conversationalist during your game of chess. Yes, yeah, I play my enemies like a game of chess. No stress. Yeah, that is that is absolutely what Ray is suggesting. Of course, when you talk about chess games, you you got to think about what Josh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Two, <laughs> Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is that five what? out of seven. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. damn straight. No, yeah. that is not a that's not it. This is the seventh seal. That is what's being parodied in Bogus Journey. That is a very famous film, another direct reference, I think, here, where a knight plays, who's played by Max von Sydow is playing chess against himself to the other characters. That's how it appears. But he's really playing chess against death. And he thinks that by doing this, by drawing out this chess game, he can draw out his life. He can make his life last longer. And that is the ultimate battle that is occurring over the course of that film. And I think that this, this battle between Elliot and Mr. Robot is absolutely that sort of battle for eternity battle for Elliot's eternal consciousness and that is what is in play here whether or not Ray knows that that's how Elliot's going to interpret it that's what it becomes probably not yeah. probably not yeah. uh, but Ray does you know he's been vibing out with Elliot these two have been getting along rather well he says to Elliot I can tell that you have something to confess uh, let it out you gotta let that out I, and you can trust me I've done some dark stuff in the past as well you can't keep this to yourself and Elliot starts to wonder to us you know he's doing his voiceover and thinking should i you know let this off my chest should i open up what i have done and mr robot's like nope because of course mr robot has access to elliot's voiceovers and says if you do that i'm just gonna swan dive off the tallest nearby building and i will end it all if you confess he will go to the law antonio that is what ray will do yeah, to the law, which I think implies that Elliot's not in prison, right, Josh? That would be my interpretation. I think, like, you could still say, like, if he was in prison... For another uh, thing. Yeah, like, they could, you know, go to the feds or whatever, like, a different type of law. But for me, this doesn't quite rule out the prison theory. I still think that there is something going on. I'm less inclined to believe that Elliot is straight up in jail. More inclined to think that he's in some sort of mental health recuperation facility, whether that is something that he has been checked into or some sort of living situation that is less strict that Elliot himself is involved in. I think that there's something going on here, but I'm not so keen on the prison idea specifically. Well, and, and Elliot is at his wit's end because he's ready to confess it all. He's telling Mr. Robot, like, I'll, I'll own it all. I'll, I'll step up and I'll take it. And Mr. Robot implies this is, this is road paved with your dead friends and family is, is the summation of what he says, that people will suffer as a result of your action. Like right. that, is, that is ultimately They're what's going to They're already suffering, guy. Yeah, they really are already suffering. And so that's where Elliot's in a tough spot. And you're right. Ray really is cozying up to Elliot. He's not just saying you can confess. He's saying what you stay to me stays, stays here. What you say yeah. to me stays here. I've done some dark stuff myself. You can't keep 
keep it in your head, buddy. And that is very much like what you say to me stays here, the kind of thing that a counselor would say. So a lot of a people, corrupt counselor, a corrupt perhaps. counselor. We are not denying that that this counselor is corrupt, and we're going to really get into what kind of corruption that might be. But he does seem to be occupying that sort of authoritarian role. And somebody that's a counselor would say, like, you can tell me anything. We have a privilege. Our conversations are protected. They don't have to go beyond this room. Yeah. Uh, so interesting stuff. Also interesting is when Elliot takes the chessboard back to his room and he talks through with Mr. Robot the stakes of playing a game of chess against each other. Uh, basically, winner takes all is what they're talking about. Whoever wins the impending chess match is going to be the Elliot. The other one goes away forever. Mr. Robot will pack his knives and go if Elliot wins this match of chess. But Mr. Robot says, if I win, then do you remember what happened to you on the night of the hack? And Elliot's like, well, I remember very little. I remember blacking out for three days and not knowing what happened. And Mr. Robot says, yeah, that's what will happen. The lack of knowing, the lack of, you know, being, that is going to be your fate. You are going to disappear and I will be in charge. Yeah. I want peace. I don't want to do this. I've been trying to get us to a place where we can coexist because I don't want to go away. But since you do not seem to be receptive to it, let's play for everything. Uh, and Elliot is going to spend much of the rest of the episode weighing whether or not he wants to take up that offer. In the yeah. very next scene, he's going to be talking it through with Krista. Yeah, high stakes. Very high stakes. And Elliot is talking to Ray, who is sort of a surrogate uh, counselor at this point. He talks to Krista about it, who is direct counselor. He comes clean with Krista. I think we're seeing a lot of interesting stuff with Elliot. The Ray scene, Elliot is talking directly to Mr. Robot. He, that's when Mr. Robot is saying, you confess, he goes to the law, I'll own it all, that back and forth. And at the end of that scene, Ray says, you need that game a lot more than I thought. Right. Are we to imply that Elliot has said all of that out loud? Yeah, it's possible. Yes. So when, when he's here with Krista, again, we see this sort of major chest cleaning. He's, he's really getting a lot of things off his chest with Krista and saying, oh, do you want me to say that I see this, this guy, my dead father, and that I, that I, I don't want to legitimize him. I don't want you to talk to him, but I'm going to say all these things. In the past, when Elliot has made these stunning revelations to Krista, we've seen that it's been in his head, that he's not actually saying the things to Krista. I until think, episode seven. Until episode seven. And <laughs> he says way too much. When he says way too much. And I think we're still in episode seven territory is what I was going to say. I think he's being very direct with her. I think he's speaking these words to her. The back and forth is real. I think so as well. Uh, I think that this is maybe Chris's office, maybe not. You still see this has been pointed out by a lot of people online, people who are looking out for is Elliot in some sort of illusory situation. There is this red light on the wall of Krista's office that does not exist in the Krista office scenes in season one. That also exists on one of the walls inside of Elliot's mother's house. So I don't know what the connection is there. But Elliot definitely seems to be bearing it all with Krista. It seems like they they are talking things through in a legit way. And Elliot says, I don't want to legitimize him. I acknowledge that all of these things have happened, but let's move on to the part where you actually help me. And Krista says, this game that you want to play, and I don't think that it's metaphorical. I think she talks, you know, she's talking about this thing through Elliot's perspective. This game that you want to play, it's dangerous. Either way, you are destroying a part of yourself. You know, win or lose. It doesn't matter. You are destroying a piece of yourself. That matters a lot. Annihilation is not the answer. According to Elliot, annihilation is always the answer. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll translate or we'll transition from that into an awesome, awesome scene. But before we do that, I just want to hit that Angela was also meeting with her confidant right before this scene. And Angela is also in the middle of a game. It's not a game of chess, really, like overtly, but it sort of is a covert game of chess that she's playing with Philip Price. And she's basically saying... I don't know what Philip Price is doing. I don't know why he's doing it, but I think he's trying to gain leverage against me. I think he's trying to negotiate something about this case. That's a very important thing that Angela is uncovering in her game of chess as she's annihilating all that we know about Angela. She's reprogramming herself throughout. She's changing her life. She's got a new apartment. She's got a new job. She's got more money. And all of this is as a result of someone else pushing her in a certain direction. So there are definitely Definitely parallels there. And Elliot is pointing out that we curate our own identities and that annihilation is all that we are. And Angela is certainly curating hers, but she's cognizant of the fact that something is maybe moving her in a certain direction, that something is Philip Price, and she really wants to know what's going on. And I think that ties into this next scene because as we see annihilation of is all we are, or as Elliot says, annihilation is all we are, what we see, Josh, we see some BD Wong. We see some B.D. Wong. B.D. Wong is back. White Rose is back. Both versions of White Rose. Uh, you know, White Rose has appeared as a man before. White Rose has appeared as a woman. Here, White Rose physically is a woman, but on the phone with uh, Philip Price is speaking like a man. And she's uh, annihilating her male identity. She's plucking her eyebrows. Yep. She's putting makeup on. Yeah, and then as soon as that phone call ends, it's going to be speaking to who we can assume is a boyfriend or a husband or something in what seems to be the real White Rose. So I think it is dangerous to think that there is a real White Rose or to assume that either one of these White Roses is the real deal. But this is the first appearance of White Rose here in season two since seeing White Rose in that sort of Illuminati scene at the tail end of season one. And she is having an interesting conversation with Philip Price. Yeah, the these, these White Rose scenes are incredible because there are so few of them. They're sparsing out this story, and this story is the big story. There's no yeah. question about it. Uh, it was the end of the tag of season one after the credits, and we see White Rose basically saying, quote, closing the plant is not an option. So there's a plant that's being mentioned by White Rose, and closing it is not an option. Well, technically a White Rose is probably a plant. That's a very good point. That is a very good point. I uh, I understand what you're saying. That's a good point. Yep. I don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, but she is <laughs> she is having you know a, a very interesting conversation with Philip Price. Her you know her clocks go off. The timer goes off. Time Price, is of the essence. And Price is annoyed, but Price seems to know that you know whatever form White Rose is in, White Rose always has time on the mind because Philip Price hears the beeping going off. It's like how much time did you allot for me today? Yeah, and Price uh, is mad. He says. I didn't start this game. You did. Right. Right. Well, we have talked a lot about what are White Rose's true goals. White Rose is the leader of the Dark Army. We know this. Has met with Elliot under this, uh, you know, under this role. Has been talking through things with F Society about how to take down E Corp. Was instrumental in the Five Nine hack. We know that the E Corp data has been uh, deeply, deeply super encrypted to the point that a man killed himself on television because there was going to be no way to unencrypt the files. But they are not destroyed. There is some way out there if you know how to de-encrypt or unencrypt these files. It could happen. You and I have wondered 
Is that the Dark Army's leverage over E-Corp, considering that White Rose seemingly has a pretty tight relationship with Philip Price? Is there more to the Dark Army's agenda here that Elliot and F Society really took into account? Are they the ones that are moving everything in, in this, uh, this big game of chess that's going on potentially between White Rose and Philip Price? Yeah, or are White Rose and Philip Price on the same team? But And, and was Elliot exploited? Philip Price, at the end of Season 1 has indicated indicated to White Rose, we know who did it. We know who was responsible. We're going we're gonna to fix this. No big deal. And he's a little rattled by it, but he wanted to talk about other things at some point. And now we see Philip Price saying, you're the one that's that I didn't start this game. You did. And so what is the game? What is the game involving Evil The most Corp? dangerous game. Man is the most dangerous game, Josh. Man is the most dangerous game. So I don't know. Are they hunting humans? Who knows? Yes. But, <laughs> but realistically, the plant in question Later on in the episode, Angela refers to the plant, a particular plant that maybe this isn't the plant, but she refers to a plant where the Washington Township leak originated from that Philip Price as part of the negotiations in that settlement, that evil corp does not want independent third-party inspectors looking into. He doesn't want them looking into that plant. That is the key thing that has been through every negotiation, including the original one, of these things. Is that the plant? Is something going on there that involves Evil Corp and White Rose? Are they making something in this plant? A chemical weapon, perhaps? Is that going on? And that is the bigger plan. And that the Evil Corp hack and all of this was all to set up some way to cover that up or to get that into a better place it's not clear from this scene but what this scene does make clear is something bigger is going on we already knew that but now we're getting information that price knows that white rose started the game that they can't close the plant that price's strategy as white rose describes it is an e-coin strategy and it's going to take six months and i think josh the most important thing that white rose says is why are you putting your faith in her Right, yeah, who we would assume, although assumptions are dangerous, is Angela. Yes, yes. That is the assumption that I would make, and although assumptions are dangerous, that seems to be what Philip Price is doing. He's going to try to use Angela as leverage. Does Angela sniff out the plan later in the episode? When we get to that scene, we'll talk about it. But I think that that is the her that is in question, and that e-coins are something that's somehow involved. By the way... The main way that we've heard about e-coins in this season is with Ray's website. Right. We heard that people were using Bitcoin wallets and overloading it. It's, Ray has described it as an online business. He's very shady about it later in this episode. That's the main e-coin we've heard about in this episode. So uh, my ears are very perked up because it seems like all these things are, are connected together in some way. Are you saying it's Ravel Corp? Is it an alliance between Ray's group and e-corp? Yep, that's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> Ray, it? Ravel Corp. Yep, that's Ravel what I'm saying. Corp. Interesting. No, I don't know. I, I there's, There could be a loose connection. There could be a real connection. I like Ravel Corp as a hashtag, though, so well played. <laughs> I'm trying here. I'm well doing played, my best. well played. Doing my best here. All right, interesting stuff. I love seeing White Rose so casually yes. dropped in the middle of a Mr. Robot episode. Like, not a huge moment that, oh, my God, it's White Rose. I mean, it's definitely a moment where, like, oh, sweet, this scene is probably going to be important. Let's pay attention. But it's not like the end of an episode, here comes White Rose, and now we are cutting away, and we have 
to wait until next week to get more White Rose. White Rose is a player on the board, uh, and so it's cool to see that she is actively part of the story this season. Also actively part of the FBI investigation of F Society. White Rose sees a memo that her, her boyfriend or whatever you want to call the guy hands her that is directly pertaining to what DDP has done to investigate Romero and find the arcade. That right. is what the memo is about. White Rose sees this memo, and I'm scared of White Rose, Josh. I'm very scared of White Rose. We know White Rose is associated <laughs> with the Dark Army. We know the Dark Army is this lingering, looming threat that yeah. has gone throughout. We've heard that they're connected to terrorists, that they know no nation or no real code. And White Rose seems to be one of the key players in the Dark Army. White Rose if not does the key player. If not the key player, White Rose knows. White Rose knows what's up. And that's, that's terrifying to me. I think it's scary. I think it's very frightening. Uh, I think that we could talk through the Darlene stuff here. I know that there's a Joanna scene before, but since we're on the topic, Darlene and Cisco are going to reunite. They're going to bump uglies in the bathroom. They're going to have a good time. Uh, it's also going to be a tense conversation between these two because the stakes are so high, obviously. But also, they didn't last see each other on great terms. I think Cisco basically said, never talk to me ever again. Uh, Cisco is the one who's reached out to Darlene, um, you know, to really talk things through because Cisco, being part of the Dark Army, is aware that the high ups at the Dark Army are aware that there might be some FBI connection to F Society right now. And he's trying to warn Darlene and basically say, You're in a lot deeper water than you realize you are. There is somebody who very likely is watching you. We think somebody may have flipped. And if the Dark Army really believes that, then you might be in fatal trouble here yeah you might be in fatal trouble and he is nervous about that he there's a lot of plot that's being exposed in these scenes what whether it's the white rose scene or whether it's this scene with darlene and turtle slash cisco he says they think someone flipped he we also come to find out that romero was researching the fbi right that the and Grace Gummer has said this earlier in the episode when they're investigating the arcade. Uh, DDP has said the three pages that were found at Romero's home at the Grow site, the three pages of FBI names each contained a name of a New York-based investigator who had spoken to Gideon Goddard. Hmm. And what was Romero's goal there? Why was he doing that? That is a concern to both the FBI. And to the Dark Army, because they've read the memo, they know. So this is some kind of, there's some loose reference to Operation Berenstein that may be a surveillance operation. A bear of an operation. A real bear of an operation. Can we just, can we really just get into this? The Berenstein Bears debate? Yes. No, we cannot. We have to, because I think that's why it's called this. Okay, so get into it then. What do you want to say about the Berenstein versus Berenstein Bears well, let, let, let me ask you this. And I uh, look, anyone who knows me on Facebook can search this out. I was ranting about this a decade ago. <laughs> Before it was ever hot. I promise right. you, I was a nut job about this. All right, well, it, it's pretty cold, this debate right now. But if you want to uh, revitalize it with some heat with another hot topic, I feel like no one's really caring about the Berenstein Bears. I bet if you Google this, uh, you'll find dozens of articles dozens of articles about this because it popped how do you spell berenstein bears b-e-r-e-n-s-t-a-i-n bears that's the wrong way to spell it that is what you think a lot of no that's the right way to spell it actually but most people remember it as berenstein bears not berenstein bears 
And I don't know if this is that most people aren't exposed to different names. Most people grow up in flyover country. And so when they read these books, they called them the Berenstein Bears. But this is not how people would spell Berenstein. They wouldn't spell it S-T-A-I-N. They didn't call them the Berenstain Bears. There, people believe that the books were changed, Josh. This is, I, there's a Vice News article out there about this. Uh, if you Google Berenstain Bears, I promise you, it's all about how something from your childhood that you thought was true ends up being not what you thought. If you Google just, if you just Google Berenstain Bears with the correct spelling, S-T-A-I-N, the I, way they're oh, spelling it on this. this. This was a big deal about a year ago. Yes. Vice is the third article, the Berenstain Bears conspiracy theory that has convinced the internet there are <laughs> parallel universes. <laughs> So are you trying to tell me that this is Mr. Robot's way of saying that there are parallel universes at play in this story? No, not at all. Not Thank at you. all. Good. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> not at all. I just I think the the connection is a loose one. It's okay. that it's that basically things are not always as you expect that they look. That right. you might you might have a version of something in your head that is not at all true and that you may there's I'm sure that if you Dig deep into the Berenstain Bears conspiracy theory. Someone somewhere, probably on Slate, has written an article about how this represents some sort of cultural, sociological, or psychological phenomenon where your brain creates a thing that isn't true and you refuse to believe otherwise because I refuse to believe that it was always spelled S-T-A-I-N. So this is, I think, a reference to that controversy. (laughs) Where I think this comes into play is... Cisco is talking about how someone may have flipped. Who are the candidates for flipping at this point? Mobley, Trenton, Darlene, and Elliot, right? Right. So who is the flipper uh, other than the uh, dog flipper himself? Yes, and we need to mention herself, the dog rather. flipper later. But the the person who I think is living in a world where they think things are one way and they may not be the way they think they are and they may manifest differently in their world is Elliot. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, was Elliot exploited? He mentions it this in the episode that when you expose some vulnerability – You can patch it, but while you're working to patch it, it leaves you open to an exploit. And was Elliot exploited? And at what point was Elliot exploited? And by whom? And was he perhaps exploited by the FBI? Or Mr. Robot. Or Mr. Uh, Robot. You know, if Mr. Robot, if the hard part is after, uh, is part of that plan, does that involve burning bridges with the people who helped you get this far? Is that something that the Mr. Robot side of Elliot could be capable of? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. And I think that those are the questions we're meant to be asking ourselves. I think by calling it Berenstein, I think that Berenstain, if you will, I think that <laughs> the that Berenstain. Is, yeah, the Berenstain. <laughs> I think that that is, I think that that is a little bit of a wink and a nod to that, that yeah. we have to look at things that we assume to be true uh, that are not actually that way at all and that have been different all along. Oh my God. I love how much time we just spent on the Berenstein Bears. Yeah, you realize you're still inside me, right? Uh, excuse me. I'm going to move on immediately. Time to move on. Time to get going. Uh, you skipped the Joanna Wellick scene. Let's go back let's to Joanna go back Wellick to and Joanna Scott Knowles. Wellick. Joanna Wellick at Scott Knowles' house. Apparently, the housekeeper is not the best security guard for Scott Knowles' house, letting in the wife of the alleged and actual murderer of Scott Knowles' wife, Sharon. Scott Knowles, who is a big red wine fan, is just power drinking red wine. Yes. O- obviously, Scott. 
Scott Knowles is in a difficult situation right now. He burned $5.9 million on YouTube. He's listening to UB40 on repeat, Red Red Wine. This is happening. having a hard time, this guy, Scott Knowles. And Joanna, who really is so stone cold, is showing up at Scott's house to basically say, Hey, Tyrell's severance package is frozen. HR says that there's really nothing they can do about it. I assume that you are the person who can do something about it. Could you please unfreeze the severance package? And if you do it, I will testify that Tyrell did not come home the night of Sharon's murder. I will basically throw Tyrell under the bus as long as you release that money. And Scott Knowles basically laughs in the face of this offer. Not having it. Uh, irascible Scott Knowles is having nothing to do with Joanna Wellick. Ah, uh, yes, the irascible Scott Knowles. Yeah, he doesn't... He says, basically, Tyrell Wellick's baby gets what he deserves. Gets nada, nothing. nothing. Yeah. Zip, you lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good day, sir. Yes, this is it. Ty, this, is, this is Scott Wonka. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Great scene with Scott Knowles, who has been... Day drunk. Uh, yeah, he's just day drunk right now. He is uh, an unappreciated treasure, I think, or an underappreciated treasure on this show. I think I we've had a lot of great Scott Knowles content this year. I agree. And, and this is, I love seeing him and Joanna Wallet come together yet again. This is great. Yeah, uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, this is showing that Joanna is willing to do a lot to get what she needs. She is willing to go to Scott Knowles and you know, try to manipulate him emotionally, uh, you know, try to carve up the head of the killer and hand it over on a silver platter just to get some money. So this is, you know, it's a testament to how extreme Joanna is, even if she doesn't want to kill the parking lot attendant, uh, even if that's how she's feeling right now. I think it shows that she is willing to do some stone cold stuff in the name of her quest to get whatever it is she wants. We see her in another scene in her third and final scene of this episode coming up a little bit later which we can just touch on now that she is with her her boy toy i don't know what that guy's name is but he's talking about how rico suave yeah hey dj rico dj rico maybe this is dj mobley he's the one who's saying once my dj career takes off i'm going to be able to take you to madrid i'm going to be able to take you everywhere and joanna's like no you're not you are not going to be able to afford anything and that's why i love you i think that's great I don't want any of that stuff. I've had that stuff. It never made me happy. I've never been happy. Uh, so she is saying all of this stuff. Do we believe that? Is that authentic Joanna? Is this a vulnerable Joanna we are seeing in this moment where she's actually confessing how she truly feels for this, uh, in front of this guy, for this guy? Or is this some so- sort of ploy? Is this some sort of manipulation as well? I love what Stephanie Cornelison had to say to you again about this. I, I don't mean to keep putting over your work, but this is a great connection to the actress who plays Joanna Well. And I think she talks about like an animal. Is it a fox digging its way out, giving itself an entrance and an exit, having as many options as possible? And she also talks about how her impression is that Joanna Wellick has had to work hard, but may have also come from a different upbringing and, and, and left that upbringing at some point and had to fight her way through the world. She's put a lot of thought into her character that hasn't always been seen in the, the limited work that she's been given. Uh, but there's a lot, there's still waters running very very deep here with Joanna Wellick. I think you can read this scene any number of ways, whether this is true vulnerability or her manipulating this guy. Uh, it's hard to say because Joanna Wellick is a mystery, but I like that it works either way. I like that it could be that she's actually vulnerable with this guy. The first time we saw this guy, DJ Rico Suave, we saw him as a bondage and discipline master screwing it up and saying, right. hey, can we cuddle? Like, let's go have coffee. Can you want to watch Vanderpump Rules? Like, and like cutting her and spilling 
spilling some blood so that the demigorgon can sniff them out. Also doing that, that is true. Getting them to the upside down, this is a bad deal. So yeah, there's a lot bad going on with this guy. And yet, maybe she just likes him because he's so opposite of Tyrell Wellick. That he is screwing up. That he is not the, the guy that Wellick was, this cold robot. That he is the kind of guy that has dreams to go to another country. And it doesn't matter that he could do that for her. She just wants him to be him. That's always what I think any partner wants to hear from their partner. It's a great word of support from Joanna Wellick. Whether or not it's true or not, I'm not sure that I buy it. I don't know if I buy it either. Interesting stuff. Joanna, very interesting character. Cool to see the other half of uh, the Wellicks having her own sort of downward spiral of crisis. That was a big highlight of season one with Tyrell. It's kind of cool to see Joanna's approach to this power loss situation. Uh, I think that this has been, her material in this episode was really, really fun. Yeah, it was great. And I thought, again, your interview with her, top notch. Good stuff. All right. So let's start talking about Elliot basically deciding that, yeah, uh, I am going to I am going to wage this cosmic battle for existence. Cosmic, according to Leon, Joey Badass, they have a scene together in the diner where Leon is basically saying, all right, what's the chessboard for? You know, if you're not going to tell me who you're playing, if it's not for me, what's it for? Elliot says it's for existence. Uh, Leon says that's high stakes. Uh, and basically saying, like, all right, so here's how you're going to decide it. Do you want to be here? You know, in a cosmic sense, existence can be beautiful or it can be ugly. That depends on you. Um, if you like what you see, close your eyes and envision your existence. If you like it, then that's beautiful and that's great. If you don't like it, then why are you here? Um, and that's the exact advice that is going to take Elliot down uh, down into the basket case vision, which is one of the great uh, scenes of the episode, I would say. Yeah, I think so, too. Definitely one of the great scenes of the episode. Uh, it's, you know, Elliot is, uh, he's envisioning his possible future it's beautiful. As, as an instrumental version of Green Day's Basket Case is playing as a lullaby. It's really wonderful. It's sad. It's pretty. It's just, it's really wonderful. That's the right way to say it. It's a lot of things. We see Elliot, uh, you know, he's imagining, would I, could I reconnect with Angela at some point? Can I reunite with some old friends? Uh, we see Lloyd, who we haven't seen all season, his old all safe Lloyd's colleague. got a new girlfriend lloyd has a girlfriend things seem to be going Josh, well this is lloyd. like when a random girlfriend shows up at the end of a very popular television series like what is this girl doing in elliot's dream <laughs> or with lloyd yes why is she with lloyd but why is right. she in the dream at all she was barely in the show so. who knows who knows it's fun i like that uh darlene and cisco get engaged in this dream uh does that mean elliot knows what a cisco is i suppose he does yeah i suppose he does yeah uh, we see that Elliot is going to reconnect with the Wellick family. Oh, which like, exists. Maybe, maybe we'll get close. Maybe I'll actually become friends with people I didn't expect to become friends with. You're burying the lead, Josh, here. He makes peace with Bill. There he we hugs go. it out with Bill from Steel Mountain, who we haven't seen in a long time. He obviously, Elliot, very famously tore Bill to shreds during the Steel Mountain episode, episode five of season one. That's so wonderful to see Bill back on the show. Yeah, it's it's great. Bill is an internet hero. Bill is, is is a Reddit beloved. There are Bill emojis on the Mr. Robot keyboard. Emobles, yes. Uh, of Bill holding his cat and crying. Uh, Bill was not worth it. That's uh, ultimately what Elliot's association with Bill is in the takedown. He does owe Bill a big apology. He even lets Bill hug him. 
Yeah, he lets Bill hug him. They hug it out. It seems like a sweet ending. That probably is the happiest ending we will ever get for Bill. Oh, at no this doubt. Point. Bill's already killed himself in yeah, the real world. I hope that we never, ever see or hear about Bill for the rest of Mr. Robot because that can only be bad. Let's just assume that this is the happy ending. This is like the Flash Sideways ending for Bill. Yeah, I think this is it. Like I said, <laughs> we're in the Flash Sideways world. Random characters are showing up, Josh. Uh, I don't know why, but all of a sudden, Shannon is there. Yeah, and we <laughs> we have this you know big dinner in the middle of the street. Everybody is there. Uh, Elliot no, has qu- not everybody. We'll get to that. Well, Qwerty is there even. So the fish has gotten a great view of the city. Probably the best view of the city it's gotten so far. Outside a goddamn window. Outside, <laughs> put me out the goddamn window. <laughs> Uh, Which Mr. Robot already did for the record. The Evil Corp building is uh, demolished. Everyone is very, very excited about this. Uh, Elliot decides that this is an existence that's worth playing for. I want to live. I want to be fully in control. It's going to motivate him to say yes to the chess match against Mr. Robot. Worth playing for? Worth playing for. All the fixings. Well, let's Uh, talk about who's not not here. Yes, who is not here in this, uh, during this dinner scene? Mr. Robot is absent. Yeah, Mr. Robot, Mrs. Robot, a.k.a. Mom, a.k.a. Mother Alderson, not here. Yeah, I don't think that he wants her there. No, Uh, you mentioned QWERTY is there, but Flipper is not there. Flipper is not there. To go back to Mrs. Robot, to Mrs. Alderson not being there, I think another point in favor of her not being there in Elliot's world right now, I think that if she were actually there, she is such a big part of Elliot's life. Don't you think that there would be some, like, I might even make amends with my mom? Like, there would be some sort of thing here in this sequence where Elliot would make peace with his mother, unless that's just a fiction that we're seeing in the scenes with Elliot and his mom on the show right now. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, And I I don't know... What else to make of that other than the fact that her absence and her absence in these key scenes is is very notable. And she did speak in season one. She spoke multiple times. She's not speaking in this season except to say bedtime, good morning, the kind of things that a person who was a dispassionate supervisor would say, not your mother. So it is, uh, it is uh, something to take note of for sure. The fact that she's not there in Elliot's dream world, something to take note of. Josh, Trenton is there. Mobley is there. Cisco is there. Romero is not there, and yet when Elliot dreams this dream in the course of the story, as far as we are meant to believe, he does not yet know that Romero is dead. Right. It could be a matter of the actor who plays Romero only had so much time that he could give Mr. Robot this mm-hmm. season. That yes. is certainly could a possibility. Be. Could be. The other possibility is Elliot already knows that Romero is dead, but perhaps doesn't know that he knows that Romero is dead. Yeah. I think that's the, the, the obviously the more intriguing possibility than production logistics. So I do think <laughs> I do think that that's that's a, a very notable absence. Similarly with Flipper, I don't know what has happened with Flipper. I don't know why Flipper is not in this. Could be that the dog that plays Flipper was just unavailable. Yes, <laughs> the dog was involved in some other projects. Maybe the dog died. I don't know Yikes. why Flipper hasn't been seen in this season. Flipper's absence is starting to become very notable. We. We know that Angela, for example, has QWERTY in her new Evil Corp sponsored bought apartment, but we don't know where Flipper is. We had speculated a lot at the end of last season that the knock on the door was related to Flipper, that this was something that was that was that 
Lenny Michelson or whatever, Lenny Michael, whatever you want to call him, he, he was tracking Elliot that somehow Flipper got flipped back to him as a result of that tracking. And I think that we could be seeing that Elliot subconsciously, even when he's dreaming of his beautiful world, knows that Flipper's not going to be part of it. Speaking of subconsciously, Flipper and all those connections, where's Krista? No Krista. I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe he has not made true amends with Krista. I wonder if that's something. Or if it's just like, I don't want to break that doctor-patient thing. Like, I don't want to bring her that far into my life. I don't know if I want Krista to meet all of my friends. Yeah, and yet Lloyd's tall blonde girlfriend is there, so whatever. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. We're in a, we're in a flash sideways. One. He gets a plus one. What's the big deal? He it's gets fine. a plus one. I didn't see where, where's Trenton's plus one, Josh. Where's Mobley's Trent- plus one? Maybe Trenton and Mobley are together. Wouldn't that be sweet? Interessant. Yes, that could be possible. Be nice. uh, and, you know, we've, we've assumed, I think, that we're seeing characters that Elliot knows to be alive. If we're going outside the bounds of that, and it really is a dream world, there's no Gideon in it. No Gideon in it. Yeah, Gideon, and- Gideon is garnered. Gideon is dead, which I think would, would lend some credence to the fact that when Elliot chooses not to include someone like that in a scene, it's because he knows they're dead already. So that would lend credence to the fact that he knows Romero is dead already, which plays into the fact that Elliot was responsible in part for capping him. Yeah, I I think that that's a, a certainly it's a point in the column of that idea. I don't think it's a slam dunk or anything. I think that there's multiple interpretations for it, but I think that that's a very, very likely or at least a very uh, – the likelihood of that being the reason why Romero is there uh, or is not there I think is substantially high. Yeah, uh, I think it's substantially high for sure. Um, all right. Well, Elliot has decided he is going to play – for existence here, this really great scene of Elliot and Mr. Robot emerging in the park and sitting down at the table, and there's just, you know, these rows of trees on either side of them. Something about Elliot's scenes, um, every scene of Elliot's, there's some, there are some, there are some objects that are bar-like, uh, basically everywhere you go, you know, vertical columns in pretty much every scene that you see with Elliot this season, whether it's wallpaper or it's the blinds on a window, everything could look sort of bar-ish. Uh, I think you could say the same here in this scene of Elliot and Mr. Robot meeting in this park and being surrounded by all of these trees that could be representing bars, perhaps. Yeah, uh, they could be representing bars. There's a lot of there's a visual motif there for sure, as you're pointing out. The cross, the the visual motif of bars across an image was one of Alfred Hitchcock's favorite motifs. Uh, yeah, it's most famously you would see it like looking through the spindles or the the, the railings of a stair uh, and you would often see that but it is like a prison bar motif and those straight vertical lines are very much present throughout this scene and, and I think we can look for those visual motifs just like we look for the color red and the red wheelbarrow I didn't see a red wheelbarrow in this episode but there are other visual motifs at play here keep in mind as well Sam Esmail directing every episode so it would stand to reason there would be visual motifs throughout I think so too alright so the chest game happens elliot and mr robot hit stalemate three times in a row the odds of that are apparently pretty close to impossible yeah. if not impossible yeah yeah it seems very unlikely that elliot goes into the math of it all as he's playing it out the games are progressing very quickly they are quick stalemates and mr robot it basically comes to the conclusion like neither of us is going to win here 
No one's going to win here. Uh, you can't beat me. I can't beat you. I wanted to push us to this point so that you would finally see that that is the case and that you're wasting time trying to fight me. I want to be here. I need to be here. There is a reason that I am here, and you need to start recognizing that there's a reason that I'm here. We should not be fighting each other. We should be fighting them. We should be on the battle lines. I think that this is obviously Mr. Robot's most effective argument yet, and I think that Elliot is at least starting to be receptive to it by the end of the episode, certainly. Yeah, and I think that I think that this is... It's very fascinating to see how the Mr. Robot argument with Elliot plays out because in the first episodes, he's shooting Elliot in the head saying, get me out of this, give me what I want. And by the end of this, by this chess game, he's basically just saying, we need to coexist. We need to be peaceful. I want to be here. So whether we want to represent him as an agent of anarchy or chaos, whether his motives are purely self-preservation, he's gone into a different place with this. He completely disappeared last episode when Elliot took the Adderall and then later when Elliot was talking to Ray, Mr. Robot reappeared but didn't speak. He doesn't speak until somewhere in this episode when he's saying, don't confess, don't do this, but he's playing a very different game at this point. It's not just chess. It's self-preservation and his argument for self-preservation here, because it is presented in a non-hostile way, because it is presented in an appealing way, I do think you're right. He's making the best argument yet. Yeah. All right. Uh, So we see Angela is going to call out Philip Price. Uh, She is waiting for him outside in a shadowy corner. Very noir. uh, Very, very good stuff here. And she basically says, I want Melissa's job. I want an office on the 20th floor. I guess the 20th floor of Evil Corp is the hot floor uh, in the building. Um, She's saying, like, I've figured out what you want. Um, you know, you want to drop this contingency in the settlement to prevent a third party from inspecting t- inspecting the Washington Township plant. Uh, it's the thing that she is able to see that the lawyers are not able to see without her. She's basically saying, I'm willing to do what you want me to do if you meet my conditions. And Philip Price, who you think in this moment is going to be like, all right, let's talk, basically says, you're very impressive. You're also very wrong. Um, Angela goes out on a limb here, swinging for something that she feels like she has busted wide open. And Philip Price is at least going to play it off by saying, sorry, no, that's incorrect. Go home. Yeah, but I think that Angela knows she's right, and I do think she's right, and I think that she's on to something here. I think she has discovered something. Whether she was meant to discover this or not is another question. Is this yet just another notch in Philip Price's belt in terms of how he is ultimately transforming Angela into somebody that he can manipulate and use? Is this part of his six-month plan that White Rose complained about, Uh, or is she advancing the plan by getting to a different part the board a lot faster. I think those are all valid questions to ask. I do think the connective tissue is the plant that Angela mentions. What is going on at this plant? And we have to ask, is this the same one White Rose is talking about that they quote unquote can't shut down? I don't know what direction we're going with with this, but there there very clearly does seem to be a connection. We have to mention that when Angela met with Terry Colby about this lawsuit in season one, Terry Colby said, look, when it happened, we put a bunch of money aside as a nest egg for the rainy day when this would come back and we'd have to pay off the lawsuit. That 
NASDAQ has already made about five times the amount of money as we're going to have to pay out for this lawsuit. All Evil Corp is planning to do is drag your lawyers out, expend all the legal fees, and eventually pay that money we were already going to pay to begin with. That was Terry Colby's pitch to get Angela in the door at Evil Corp, that the lawsuit didn't matter, and that if she really wanted to change Evil Corp, she needed to get at it from the inside. So we know ultimately the way the lawsuit has been phrased by Evil Corp people is that it doesn't matter and yet in this scene it seems to be clear that one little key provision of it matters very much a lot a lot a lot and if you'll recall this is something that i want to tie together completely elliot and angela their relationship in the season premiere of season one is what caused elliot to quote unquote deviate from the plan as the dark army put it that Elliot putting Terry Colby on blast directly with the initial Evil Corp hack, which he did because Mr. Robot told him to, but which he did also because Terry Colby was mean to Angela because Elliot had human feelings for Angela. Elliot deviated from what the Dark Army's plan was, exposed Terry Colby specifically, and put this whole thing out there. He got that whole thing and put it on blast, and that the Mr. Robot part of this plan wanted direct revenge for the toxic incident. Elliot deviated from that plan. So if you exist in a world where White Rose and... The evil corp people, Philip Price, were working together with some greater plan. Elliot screwed it up from the jump when he made it personal with Terry Colby. And that their way of possibly getting at correcting this is to get Angela involved in such a way that they get that lawsuit settled uh, that will protect that plant. So this could all go all the way back to the first episode. Yeah, that's interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. Deep-rooted stuff. This is a show that is plotted out pretty thoroughly i feel like i think that we've seen that time and time again uh so for this to have roots in the very beginning of the show is both impressive and not surprising i i I think that's those are perfect words um all right so we'll see how that plays out i mean angela has put herself on a limb here uh and philip price whether or not she's correct philip price is saying you're wrong go home this is and you know Angela's the one who drops an f bomb. It's like f. I I put myself out on a limb here, and he said I'm wrong. What what am I going to do? Is my cover blown? So I think this complicated relationship between these two characters uh, just got complicated even further in a pretty interesting way. Yeah, you're right, and who knows where it goes from here. I I love the fact we've had a lot of com- we've had a lot of comments, a lot of people asking, a lot of people emailing, quite frankly as you indicated earlier, a lot of people complaining about Angela's character. That people don't like the Angela character, where is this going? Is she ultimately going to be evil? Uh the the great email we had from Jill Swanson with all the Hamlet connections said a- Angela would be like Hamlet, will she or won't she kill the king? And in Angela's in Angela's extended metaphor there, that is, uh, that is the interesting connection that maybe, that maybe price is Hamlet, that that is, that that is there or that there is some other kind of connection there. So Angela is really a fascinating character. The arc, as Jill described, it was struggling with the right thing to do. I don't know if that is ultimately the arc we're getting for Angela or if it's that, 
that we've got kind of something bigger going on here. Kira Swanson wrote that Angela is up to more than we think, and she's the one we needed to watch as early as season one, episode three. I think it's still too early, Akira says, to question if she'll become the villain because the characters are so layered, I think they're a twist to their intentions. Yeah. But I'm excited to see how her character will continue to develop as season two progresses. Yeah, Angela's fascinating. Um, I think Angela's in a really interesting spot right now, a really curious spot. This really only, you know, puts her in a more vulnerable position than she was in before. Uh, how that plays moving forward, I think, is going to be one of the really exciting aspects of season two. Um, beyond Angela, we get toward the end of the episode here. Elliot, once again, on the red phone, on the bat phone, yes. talking to Darlene. Um, and this is basically Darlene saying we're in trouble. Uh, all of us, we might be in trouble. We might be owned. Uh, we might be in very big, big, big trouble here. Elliot, I need your help. Um, Elliot is hearing her out and Elliot, you know, as his final test basically says, did you mean it when you said you wanted him that maybe you needed to talk to him and you didn't want to talk to me? Uh, and Darwin says, I want you only you. Yeah, and I think that that's a really nice thing to say that Darlene is backtracked on her comments. She gives it the in it one, which is the title of the episode and which we come to find out is there. That's the first command that Elliot taught her, as you see, as we're talking about, to keep the computer from crashing. And that this is sort of her buzzword, her way of saying, like, this is her safe word. Like, I need to make sure that you understand where we are. I'm going to say in it one so you understand we're in kind of critical circumstances. This is my that's what she says at the beginning of the episode when Elliot is saying, do you need to stay? Do you just need to crash? Here, or she says in it one by means of saying like I need you to t- to help me stop from crashing. Yeah, and this is what she says on this call, and Elliot's there to do it, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Elliot hears it out. He goes to Ray, Mister Rowe. I was like, no, don't go to Ray. Don't confess, please. Don't do this. Um, and Elliot is not here to confess. Elliot is here to acquiesce. Elliot is here to give in to Ray's original pitch when we first met Ray in the season premiere of saying, you know, I hear you're good with computers. Very obviously had a computer problem. Elliot says, I'm here to help you with your computer problem. And Ray, who has obviously been patient in his own way with Elliot, talking things through with Elliot, seemingly being there, opening up his own vulnerabilities to possibly be exploited. Uh, for Elliot, talking about his wife who's been deceased for years and years and years. This Ray, once he hears what Elliot is saying, I'm going to help you with your problem, no longer has time for any of the fluff. Uh, it basically says, you know, I'd ask you what changed your mind, but I'm really going to quit while I'm ahead and just lock you into this now that you've said you'll do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is uh, not good for Elliot, I don't think, because we find out very quickly that it's a shady business that there's something going on. Ray, My online business. I'm very protective of it. Ray gets very menacing. He turns and says, it's very important to me. I'm a private guy. I prefer discretion. Don't look where you don't need to. And then he sends his muscle Lone Star in. Lone Star is his name. Lone Star. <laughs> Give him the raspberry, I think, is what needs to happen. Yes. Yeah. No, no. Uh, it should be easy, right? I mean, their password is just one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> That's the same password I have in my luggage. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. I don't know. It, uh, it's an interesting thing that is happening here. Uh, 
I I don't know. Is Ray half man, half dog, Josh? <laughs> is he his own, Elliot is his own Blair. best friend, so there yes. is a connection there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, Ray definitely shifts gears here. Uh, yeah. And basically says, like, don't look at anything that you shouldn't be looking at. Are uh, we going back to Rohit territory with this? Interesting. Is it, is it, is it kids? Uh, I mean, because Elliot mentions it directly. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. This is really scratching that part of my brain again." Uh, the interesting connection is in in that first episode, season one, episode one. He's scratching the part of his brain where good things aren't allowed to exist without right, a reason. Right. Yeah, this is a different thing. This is a scratching a curiosity zone in his brain. He wants to know what's he covering up, what's he hiding. He wants to know exactly what's happening. And, well, it's the thing where, like, you know, in season one, in that first episode, he discovers what's going on with Rohit and his porn business because the internet at Rohit's cafe is good. so good. Yeah, yeah. It's the best. And he's like, I, you know, I'm just not the kind of guy that takes a good thing at face value. Uh, this is obviously a thing that's very beneficial to me that I can show up here and have really awesome internet. But why do you have awesome internet? And that's how he finds out about the porn business. And here, Elliot needs a terminal, needs to find out what's going on. His friends are in danger his people are in danger if he's going to fight for existence he does need to take the fight on head on he needs to go back and he needs to help his people that being said if he only has access to a computer let's say uh which is why he would need to take on ray's thing then looking into ray and finding something that he doesn't like that he finds unjust would put his plan in peril i think that's why he's saying i got to avoid that i can't give in to that urge that's the urge that's going to take apart what i really need to be online for yeah i think that he's i think the urge connection is is the right one and i it does remain to be seen whether he's going to be able to not give in to that urge or not i would guess probably he's going to give in to the urge yeah i think so too <laughs> uh, even moses had his weaknesses josh so yes. yeah that's going to happen um it, it is a it is a fascinating thing that's happening here and it, we have that whole connection with Moses and Elliot. There are the discussions of the prophet and God thing that's not going away. Ray is comparing the voices in Elliot's head as we're talking about to the prophets uh, and to Moses. And Elliot is wondering, like, am I like Moses? Am I special? This is, is this how I fight? And maybe I'm here to help Darlene because the first thing he does when he gets on Ray's computer is not look into Ray's business. It's get on the IRC as his idea identity sam sepiel and contact darlene and, yeah. and he talks to darlene it is only then that darlene informs him about romero about the fbi about the berenstein bears berenstein bears I the berenstein bears my stragoy uh bergoy uh yeah so all of that is is what unfolds at the end of this episode we see elliot realize that the fbi has switched from blackberry to android presumably making them easier to exploit and he goes to hack the FBI. That's the final line of the episode. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rowe, it's like, what are you doing? I'm hacking the FBI. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, we've been waiting for a long time for Elliot to get back in the game. I think that these three episodes or four episodes, if you want to call it four, if you consider the premiere two episodes, a lot has happened in Elliot's journey with himself in coming to some sort of peace or at least uh, a temporary truce, you know, putting the arms down for now with Mr. Robot. That has been a journey that has not been easy. I think given the magnitude of the reveal at the end of 
season one, it wouldn't have been right to not pay a lot of attention to this very important bombshell that dropped on Elliot at the end of the first season. We had to explore that stuff. I think we will continue to explore this stuff as long as the show exists. But now Elliot is in a place where he can start engaging the main plot again. And it's happening pretty early on in the season. I'm really optimistic about where things go from here in terms of uh, our enjoyment and what there is going to be to pick apart. Maybe less optimistic for the people who are actually involved in some of these problems. Me too. And I got to say, I am excited. You're, you're pointing out that this is, this is engaging the plot. I'm really excited because, Josh... I think we might have to do a rewatch of our rewatch. Oh, my God. If the Philip Price and White Rose plan somehow used Elliot as an exploit in season one, season one may have yet more value in it than the initial rewatch when we look at what Elliot's actions were or what the motivations were or who might have been driving that train throughout various points. I'm so fascinated by this and the connection of the meta story to the story that we're encountering here, uh, not just the plot of will the FBI track down Elliot and F society, but the plot of how does Philip Price's plan relate to that? Is Elliot being used as an exploit by the FBI against Philip Price and the Dark Army? Or is it vice versa? Was he being used as an exploit by them for some greater plan that we have yet to see? And he didn't realize it because he's a screwed up dude. Did the fact that he tore up that server room at some point for some company Put him on someone's radar as the kind of guy who could be used because he had a lot of great skills and was also a little nuts. All these things are really, 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 really just exciting me about where Mr. Robot's going to go in the rest of season two. Very excited about where we could go moving forward. Anything else from this episode before you want to sign out? No, just a couple little housekeeping things. First, we talked about Green Day's Basket Case was played, the lullaby. The lyrics of Basket Case can't be ignored. Lord Josh, do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I'm one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt doubt about about it. it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me. It all keeps adding up. I think I'm cracking up. Am I just paranoid or am I stoned? So I went to a shrink to analyze my dreams. It goes on and on. So great song choice there. Amazing to find the lullaby version of it. This show continues to just hit home runs with music choices. This was a great example of that for sure. Yeah, no, it's very good. Mr. Robot's always really good about that. No exception here with the Basket Case call out. That's really fun stuff. I wonder, are we going to hear an instrumental version of Basket Case on The Leftover Season 3? <laughs> we can only hope. We can, can only, only hope. hope. Because, Josh, at some point we're going to have to do our meta podcast where The Leftovers and Mr. Robot occur in the same world. And we're going to have oh to analyze God. it from that level. Oh, so that is the Berenstain Bears revealing the parallel universe between The Leftovers and Mr. Robot. Oh, my head is exploding that's the link link. (laughs) any other housekeeping notes yeah uh when crafty cause had tweeted and said we talked a lot about the knock with so much in season two i missed who that was or was it not revealed i love how this episode played with that we still don't know what's going on with that story at this point it's the elephant in the room that we ended the first season with the knock and we still haven't answered where that happened i think that that has to tie directly into whatever elliot's living situation is now and i really did love that they played with that in this episode i thought that was great as well yeah 
Yep. Great stuff. And then another thing Dave Chandler had tweeted at us and pointed out that the music from last episode that we observed was from the Truman Show, was from the Truman Show, but before it was from the Truman Show, it had another it had another connection. It was uh, it was a Philip Glass piece that was ultimately composed and used in a different form and that as a possible link to the scene the different form the original author of the piece that the Philip Glass music was written for uh, was someone who committed suicide as an expression of their art. And as you get tied into all of these things that were happening in that scene, was Elliot trying to kill himself? Was he trying to force an overdose? There's been a lot of different interpretations of that, but there is extra layer to that music that we didn't touch on that I think is fascinating as well. Lots of really great stuff this week. The feedback this week was really excellent from everybody. Uh, very, very, very good to hear from you guys. If you guys want to write in, we will always try and incorporate your comments and questions into the podcasts. The easy way to do that is Mr. Robot at postshowrecaps.com. That's the email address. You can send questions in there. You can send questions in through our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can also tweet to Antonio and I. Antonio is on Twitter at a. AC Mazzaro, two Z's, one R. I'm at Round Howard. For the hashtag, where do you want to go with this, Antonio? <laughs> go with what you want it, Josh. Was it hashtag Ravel Corp? Yes. I was reaching. It was yeah, the reach. I like it. I like we also it. had hashtag the Baron Strain. The Baron Strain is very good. That's it's, very uh, you're good. making my head explode. I don't want to talk about this. You I'm a Baron Stain Bears conspiracy theorist hipster, Josh. All right. Well, we'll see if we can do a deeper dive into that at some point in the future. Uh, yeah. We was- also have a deeper dive from Caleb Hunt, and we're going to have to do in the future, which is that Leon is a character talking about Seinfeld, but that Leon is a character on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and where <laughs> oh, can man. we go with that? we got to be careful with these spin-offs. All right, shows. well, I'm going to be very nervous if I see Leon going into anybody's anything and spray-painting stuff and using <laughs> Snickers wrappers on the ground. <laughs> I think uh, he's just going to eat this Chinese food in his bedroom. I'm going to be very nervous about where he actually is if that kind of thing starts showing up. <laughs> yes, he's up in the upside-down at that point. He's up the upside-down. <laughs> he he's way up in, the robot hole. Indeed he is. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. As always, subscribe to what we're doing here on Post Show Recaps, postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes, or for everything we're doing on Post Show Recaps, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Plenty of coverage as we are ripping through this summer over here. We will be back next week talking about more Mr. Robot. Antonio, I'll talk to you then. Cheers, Joshua. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing? In everything all at once I am one of those Melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone No doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps adding up I think I'm ready